everybody, and welcome to Sonic Talk, episode 514, um, broadcasting today live, uh, Wednesday the 22nd wow. of November 2017. Yeah, 514, isn't it? More than half a thousand, although getting to a thousand <laughs> might require some sort of means of life support for me, I think, because uh, that's another well, no, I, I think I'll, I think I'll be all right, actually. I know five is about eight years. I think, I think I might have got that in there. I think we'll be all right. Anyway, welcome, everybody. And uh, this is the Music and Technology Podcast. We talk about all things to do with music technology surrounding the kind of world of it and uh, uh, software, synthesizers, DJ, controllerism, you know, all of that stuff, all the culture of it, whatever you like. It doesn't really matter. So let's, uh, without any further... Oh, actually, before I go, I want to say thank you very much to isotope they will be uh, providing the prize for this week's competition you can win a copy of ozone 8 their brilliant mastering te- uh, uh, suite of plugins anyway so uh, let's say hello let's actually let's start with uh, steve hillier we haven't seen him for a while steve hillier.net uh, steve is a producer educator musician songwriter uh, uh one time member of uh of eight, nine, eight, 80s or 90s i'm just trying to think was it 80s uh, or 90s 90s it was it 90s. was mid to late 90s as well um, excellent yeah Anyway, how uh, are you, Steve? Dubstar. Yes, Dubstar, of course. <laughs> how are you? No, I'm good, thanks. I've just um, uh, sort of come back from uh, a few sort of foreign trips, which is uh, why I haven't been around here for a while. And um, it's been nice to get back to the UK and have a whole sort of bunch of things that have come in in my absence, if you know what I mean, kind of projects and stuff. So, oh, well, so work uh, it's happened nice in the meantime. Listen. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's sort of sometimes it kind of happens like almost by os- osmosis. That's what I rely on, I suppose. Uh, so no, all things are good here. Thanks. Excellent. Well, glad to hear it, uh, Steve. Thank you very much for joining us. And I will also head over to uh, Mr. Gaz Williams, bass player, producer, mastering guy, uh, music technologist over in here where he's, he's been tweaking the uh, colour balance and the gamut of his web webcam and lo- is looking particularly particularly well formed today with his video quality how are you guys you well <laughs> yeah good thank you um just want to uh, apologize for anyone who's waiting for the uh, lawn the album because thank you so much a lot of people responded and bought the album which i was so pleased about that's astro deluxe but we had a little bit of a dilemma see what you think about this we are doing this limited edition release and we sign in all four band members are signing these little certificates. But um, Helen, our keyboard player, is on tour. She plays with Cripple Black Phoenix, uh, which is quite a big band, sort of, certainly in, in Europe uh, as well. And she's on tour at the moment. She doesn't get back until the middle of this week. And we had ah. all these certificates signed by three of the band and not the fourth member. And we're going, well, what do we do? do That's we, how rumours start. Do we, for- do, we, do we forge her signature? <laughs> on the certificates uh, and then we just thought if we thought that's so in you know just totally wrong, oh, thing wrong to do it's wrong so so if anyone's waiting for them that's the reason there's a bit of a delay because we want to be authentic <laughs> that's a very good reason anyway guys that thank you for sharing that with us and i appreciate that and as i'm sure with the people who've ordered uh also mr rich hilton uh hiltonius.com a keyboard player with chic and studio guy with uh, mr nile rogers how's your week been rich Are you busy back at the studio doing uh, waxing hotties as we like to say Oh, I'm waxing hotties, all right. <laughs> Always sounds a bit lascivious the way you say that, Rich. Yeah. It's not meant to be. I just it's love to hear you say thing. that. <laughs> I'm good, uh, thank you. Excellent. I, I think that phrase goes back to uh, sort of the 1920s and 30s when uh, hip 
jazz musicians used to say they were going into the yeah, studio and they'd cut it to a wax cylinder. Obviously, we're not doing so much right. of that these days. At least I'm pretty sure in Rich's productions that's not the case. So uh, anyway, um, we'll uh, we'll move on and start talking about some stuff. And um, there's a few items of news today. Uh, actually, maybe we should start with the news of Cakewalk. This is rather sad. Uh, Cakewalk. Um, that, this broke kind of yesterday, or at least came into kind of public domain yesterday uh, on the 17th of November. Um, Gibson, who are the, uh, the the owning company, uh, decided to kind of cease product development and effectively are closing down the company. And uh, sadly, that means you know a bunch of software engineers and various other support staff and people involved in the whole thing. Jimmy Landry, who was a, a great guy, who also uh, I guess are going to be out of work and looking for work. So if you've got anything for them, great. But it kind of it's a sad thing. I mean, Cakewalk's been around uh, since, well, it's like, uh, it does say 30 years on their website. So, I mean, that's an exceedingly long time uh, for any kind of... Ha- and we were only talking the other day about Cubase 9.5 and how how long in the tooth that was and how it was amazing. And it just seems very sad news that it's uh, it's not possible. Of course, Sonar was their main product uh, in terms of DAWs. They had a number of other uh, software instruments that worked across platforms because Sonar, for the time being, was only PC, although Mac was in development. And I don't know... Um, Rich, I know that Sonar was kind of... They're, they're an American company, and it was kind of, I guess, big bigger in America. I mean, is that something... I guess you've always been a Mac guy, but, I mean, big company, really, aren't they? Yes, and I did, I've did. i been variously interested in their product, and I have worked in the PC world as well quite a bit. Not quite a bit, but somewhat. And uh, they made one of the premier products for a very long time. But when they sold first to Roland, and then I guess Roland probably sold them to Gibson... Um, you could sense that the, once they left Roland, it wasn't looking good. <laughs> For, because uh, Gibson has unfortunately developed a reputation of being the place where software goes to die. And um, I think it's an unfortunate reputation. And I think they every time I believe they go into it with the best of intentions. I'm I sure. Really yeah. Well, they did. They've been, I don't they've... think they're like sinking companies, like some sort of Gordon Gecko Wall Street scenario where they have anything to gain whatsoever by like turning the people at Cakewalk into people who are unemployed. I, I don't see any reason why Gibson would invest in companies like Opcode Overheim and, and now uh, Cakewalk and then and then like deliberately let them fail. I think that they entered these things with the best of intentions and unfortunately some things don't work out very well and so far they haven't made much of an impact in the software business uh, as far as I know. Uh, somebody correct me if I'm wrong but Gibson is probably still making almost all their money on guitars. Yeah, I'd imagine and so. A, and that's a tough business these days too, because people don't want to play guitar mm. anymore. Um, on a on a statistical, you know, some people do. I do, but um, on a statistical basis, the guitar business is way down apparently compared to what it once was. And there's all quotes by famous guitarists about it. But anyway, very sad for the guys who work there and for the people who are really dug in about this product is the first thing, and the second thing is it it's a reminder that you can't get too dug in about any of these things. And you got to be willing to work with what you got right now. Cause, um, cause I have seen platforms come and go my whole life. And that thing you've spent the last 15 years honing your skills on could go away. And then you've got to hone those skills on something else and, and, uh, and you'll do fine. 
and I've switched platforms a few times in my life professionally. And uh, it's always a little bit painful at first, but not for very long. And generally speaking, you're still getting done what you want to get done. So I'm very sad for the people who work there and the people who invested in their software because uh, it was good software. And they can continue to use it the way it is, but you're basically planting a flag in a certain computer rev and in a certain software rev. Yeah. yeah. That's my take. That's true. I mean, and also, um, <clears throat> they do. Uh, they released a statement to say that the servers and stuff are going to be online, so any kind of cloud-based or online content you've got is still going to be available. But it would be wise to consider what you might want to do with that, and if you can work with it offline, try and get it offline. Just, just as a, a security matter, because obviously, there's. I think there's an online uh, registration or, or authorization aspect to it that you know would they might do well to. Uh, possibly update in the last software revision which might remove that so that if the servers do go down people aren't left with it i don't know uh, steve uh, i guess you're also a mac guy but uh, i mean it's always sad when a, a, i mean this is a big established platform really isn't it uh yes that's absolutely right and yeah it is sad i can tell you that um unfortunately you know for the purposes of this conversation at least never really uh used this product it's never really entered my world because i've been a mac guy i kind of went from uh, atari straight to Mac and now I'm yeah. working in a Mac and Linux world. But um, although I don't know whether this applies directly to Gibson, but it's just a thought that I have generally about stuff like this. When a software package is, the development has ended, wouldn't it be a nice thing if the corporations would release the patents that they might have within that product? Do you know what I mean? So if they may hold, and again, I'm not talking specifically about Gibson here at all, but they may hold um, the rights on, you know, certain innovations that, that they couldn't turn into a profitable business or profitable product that rather than hang on for 20 years and try to, you know, get licenses from other companies, um, licensed royalties, I should say, that instead what they would do is they would kind of release this product to the world into the world for the common good and maybe i'm being naive here but just imagine if um the source code for these products was now released now that would be a remarkable turn of events um which i think would be ultimately very positive and also it would it would maybe help the as, as rich was just saying it might help the uh, people who will now need to transition to a different platform if actually other developers could take this over and keep the platform alive maybe for a few years longer or turn it into something else rather than cakewalk essentially dying you know ceasing to exist yeah no that's very true i mean i think uh you know i don't know whether there's any uh, there's anything like a management buyout or sale of assets to maybe another company in the in the offing but um, yeah. i mean in the past gibson have been pretty hard-nosed about the business side of things yeah. i mean maybe for good reason i don't know i mean i don't know enough about them but you know well I, I, think, I can tell you yeah sorry i can tell you from my own experience of um uh, working with software developers and, and other things associated with that it's kind of uh known these days that the real value is in the patent um so if you just you know um happen to have picked up the patent somewhere along the line for something that then turns out to be a, a key component of a new app that might be released this year or next year or whatever you know everybody kind of knows that generates a big windfall for a company and so there's no real incentive to give up these patents which is why i was saying before maybe i'm being a bit naive here but um I, th I think this sort of opens up, us up into the wider world of what patents should cover, if you know what I mean, especially in, in the software world. 
Yeah, I suppose. I mean, I think, you know, the the massive amount of, I mean, I don't know what sort of cash exchanged hands for the transfer of those properties into the company, but you could imagine it would be hard to give up. I mean, I I suspect, you know, maybe there could be a vehicle whereby they set up like a trust and, you know, so that people can, there could be a management buyout or people could work on it if they wanted to. But if anything ever came of it and there was a, there was a windfall with that license stuff, then, you know, Gibson would get a kickback at some point in the future at a predetermined amount. I mean, that's the sort of thing. Anyway, but that's getting into all sorts of kind of mergers and acquisition stuff. I know it's, it's, it is sad, though, isn't it, when a kind of major platform mm. goes. I mean, imagine if it was any, you know, I mean, one of the big ones that perhaps, you know, maybe Mac-based platform that we all use. I mean, imagine if Ableton or Steinberg or one of those guys went. I mean, it would just be catastrophic. And probably w- yeah. it probably wouldn't happen though, I suppose. Hmm. But um, I mean, the first hard disk recording software I ever used was uh, Cakewalk Four back in about nineteen ninety six. Um, which uh, so I spent a good few years actually, about three years or so with Cakewalk, um, largely because it was one of the first out of the door that could just work with uh well i was using like a turtle beach sound card in a pc back then so i am really sad yeah old school (laughs) i am sad about this about this news and it's uh i did hear a rumor though that gibson are uh owing ridiculous amounts of money and it it, and the gibson themselves could go bust in april or so something allegedly unsubstantiated (laughs) unsubstantiated rumors (laughs) but um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but uh yeah so you know i mean if that happened oof. so it, it it did get me thinking um i noticed uh pete pete ruckus in the uh in the youtube that said um, about microsoft being a good candidate to buy cakewalk and you kind of go well they could do like logic then couldn't they and just give like sort of sonar or whatever built into like uh some home version of windows like apple did with garage band and you know acquire all of that assets and just sort of then use it as a way to uh lure some of the creatives over to the windows That's a, platform. that isn't a bad idea at all and i, I, mm. I mean i suspect that that there's probably something like that going on at windows already and if it could kind of jump start it then that would make mm. an awful lot of sense because i mean that is you know it's the smart move isn't it really well, I mean, you know, some people might disagree with this, but Logic has certainly, you know, thrived under Apple, hasn't it? I mean, and it's one of the major platforms these days. So, you know, it, it could be, that's an interesting, an interesting thing there. Um, and it is, I mean, it is sad to, if it comes to an end. I mean, all of that lineage. I mean, it's interesting because if you use Sonar, I remember last time I took a look at Sonar was uh, a few years ago because it was the first to s- support... Um, multi-touch on yes. a on a laptop you know so that's a you know that was a major first for them um well they're so still look- well they still were only one of two i mean only bitwig does now i think bitwig and them they they were first i can't remember the name of the Skyfall or there's some kind of uh technology but they i mean as with many things these the the daw innovation goes in circles you know Cubase, Steinberg, really, really up their game, like maybe uh, 12 months ago, and we're really doing it now. You know, there may be stuff from Ableton, you know, so it goes like that. And and, and Sonar had their moment as well. But it, and I don't know if it wasn't enough, or I guess if you're only working on a PC platform, then you're cutting out quite a lot. But there was, there, there is, or has been a, a Mac uh, port in development with uh, uh, um, yeah. partners. Co- that, so that, I don't know if that's going to happen. That, well, that was the thing, though, that I found coming to Sonar, having not used it for a while, and sort of when it was Cakewalk, it was always very 
Windowsy though the whole kind of like when you click on a track window the whole interface really had a windows feel about it did, did you see what i mean i mean it was more more than you know it hadn't really you know like ableton with a complete graphical makeover it, it still had sort of windowsy look about it um and it still was right until the most recent version that i saw it still had that sort of windows mm. um so i don't know if that's something about his popularity that if it was maybe a little bit more, I don't know, a bit more computery, a little bit less um, yeah, skeuomorphic. Um, maybe yeah. so. I mean, it's, but anyway, I mean, it is kind of sad. And we do hope, uh, obviously, you know, if, if indeed the company isn't going to be up, the assets aren't going to be sent somewhere else and maybe someone will pick it up and take the engineers and various other staff with them, which would be the best scenario, then all of those people we obviously wish them well in, you know, what they're going to have to do now. Because I think that's the other thing in the States, you know, it's like when things stop or there's a kind of, you know, you could just sack people. <laughs> you can let people go right away. Whereas I think in the EU, there's a much more sort of, structured and um you know it's more difficult Ooh, which harsh. is not necessarily a good or a bad thing you know i don't know it's just it's just tough really um anyway uh so uh what's the time yeah uh, uh so there's another thing uh, did anyone see this uh, swan file sharing um uh, uh thing as well this is a new thing swan.audio uh launched a new file sharing thing aimed at audio professionals uh, which is actually kind of cool because it, what it does is it allows you just to upload a file. I, I think I've got the screen here. Uh, yeah, here we go. You just add a file, give it a title, subtitle, email it to various numbers of people. You can make it just downloadable, just download and play or just play only with a little message. It lives there for seven days and then it's gone. And they've kind of, I think what they've done is they've got back-end servers that will kind of give you the best possible audio bandwidth and rendering for, you know, your connection. It plays on pretty much, I've worked, it worked on my Android device. It works on pretty much everything. So it's a very easily accessible thing. Not so much, I mean, Dropbox is fine for that sort of stuff too, but you end up in the situation situation sometimes when you're trying to manage and think oh is that does that still need to be in the folder it just seemed like kind of a cool thing i don't know and the player uh is uh here as uh I, there we go it's just a very simple thing you just hit play and uh, that, that's a track that i sent to you guys by the way actually um yeah i'm just looking so, at it <laughs> so so do you th well two things uh steve do you think it's required. I mean, because, you know, SoundCloud, as we know, is is SoundCloud and it's a separate thing. But this feels like it could be quite, it's filling a little bit of a niche. I mean, it's, it's a, essentially a bit of a dressing of existing technology, but it seems to me they might have well, pitched yeah, that, it right. That's, that's right. I mean, when I, when I first uh, looked at this, I was sort of thinking this is a solution looking for a problem. And I kind of thought, well, you know, often when I, when I thought in these ways, I've been missing something obvious. So I thought about it for a bit longer, and I realised that the the first of all, it's it's extraordinary that this is free. So I don't think it's it's fair to be you know too critical. But I rather like the idea that the uh, files would expire after seven days. I mean, that's not going to stop anyone who really wants to record this file using something like Audio Hijack to get a copy of the file. But it's nice if you you've you've you know have a certain amount of confidence to know that if you're sending over a demo mix or a rough mix or just a version for comment that it's not going to be trivially easy for somebody to just copy that file and keep it forever so i rather like that and then looking into the um, amount of platforms that they're um they put this 
their own platform onto, so iOS and all that kind of thing. That did also sort of answer the question of, well, you know, normally I listen to mixes in my car or on headphones walking down the street or a whole load of different situations just to make sure they're okay. And that, that seemed to cover that rather well as well. I've got to say, I think that given that it's free, um, I, I think it could be, you know, quite a nice thing to to use. And I think moving things around on Dropbox is, is fine. I do it all the time. But maybe there's like an extra... I don't know, level of professionalism with this? I don't know. It feels like I'll it's designed. Try it out. Yeah, no, it, I, I mean, I've used it. I sent, like I said, I sent files to Charles Reeves um, for him to check out, and I've sent one to Gaz, and I've, you know, just, and also I can upload it here, and then I can, oh, I'll have a quick listen to that on my phone in bed, you know, just check that mix on my mm. headphones or whatever. It's kind of handy. I know, Rich, I, I know you have in the past, I mean, to, you know, the, the, the thought of cloud storage for kind of sensitive audio material hasn't really floated your boat, but this has a sort of, functional oh, I, it. I use it all the time <laughs> sure <laughs> i, I use it all place. the time uh, in various forms and this in my view is a nice fancy piece of creative interfacing that uh, as steve points out is free and there's a world of people out there not like us who haven't spent years managing different kinds of cloud-based distribution systems for various purposes both in terms of whole sessions or just putting up individual files or whatever and uh, this makes the process incredibly easy for a bunch of people who don't want to know about that stuff or don't already know about that stuff. And it allows them to very easily do a bunch of things that a lot of people need to do a lot. So I think it's cool. It's just a fancy piece of interfacing to me because everything it does can be easily done already. It just isn't as simple as they provide it in the way that they provide it. So it's cool. Yeah, I agree. I, mean, I, I was, I, I must admit, I was initially skeptical because I was thinking, oh, what's this? Because it's just literally, you go to a page, it's like si sign up and then you can use it. And it is free. You've got a two gigabyte file limit per file, I believe. You can upload like multiple, so you can load a set of stems or a set of tracks or, you know, and I it doesn't have to just be audio. So it can be used to that. And, and I did test it with, when you when you click, I only want it to be uh, playable. And I did try, and I looked in the, the source code and saw what file it was doing and then tried to access that file, and it just went, nah, you can't have it. So, I mean, I'm sure, you know, expert hackers, hackers might be able to do that. I know, Gaz, what do you think? I mean, it seems pretty seamless, right? Yeah, I like this. I mean, for the work that I do, I do a lot of mastering. Um, I just like I, – I use WeTransfer uh, all the time as opposed to Dropbox just because I like to get the, um, the download receipt – uh, that's the main reason why, I, but also the fact that it expires and it means that, you know, it's, I don't know, it, it means you've, you know, you want to get things working, you want people to get feedback to you. So, you know, to get that receipt is is really important. Um, is there a receipt function with this? Do you know? Uh, well, when uh, when you've sent, when you've uploaded a file, you get an email with the hmm. link to the, the thing. And then if you've downloaded yeah. it, I know it's like you just downloaded that file. It tells me that you yeah, then you downloaded get... that. Yeah, I did. I got a receipt and it said that you downloaded then the file. Then this is, this is perfect. The thing I'm confused about is what's their business model then? Because like with WeTransfer, there is a business model to go to the WeTransfer transfer plus or whatever and um you know have customized downloads etc and bigger file sizes and, and whatnot 
do they have yeah, that with this? Is I there... was I was thinking that as well. I, I, I can imagine. Mm. I mean, A, you need to sign up. So if you sign up, you're adding yourself mm-hmm. to a database of people who are to, using it for right. audio. So you've got a very mm-hmm. niche kind of mailing list, which I wouldn't object mm-hmm. to if I'm getting a free service, you know, and they go, oh, by the a way, we've service. teamed up with so-and-so, yeah. you know, you, you know, you, there's a special offer here. So it may be set, or it may be that there's a, another tier, another level that maybe, you know, you can have unlimited storage possibly in the cloud. I yeah. don't know, you know, it's, it's not hard. And each one, is a download can be up to two gigabytes, and that can be multiple songs. Is that right, or can it just be multiple one song files up to a two gigabyte? Multiple I think files each file, up to maximum of two. I, right. I think I'm not sure. I, actually, to be honest, I I, it's each not file clear. Was two gig, wasn't it? Let, each file, yeah. Let me just see. Uh, I'd have yeah. to double check that, it whether it's a two gig limit. Whether it's a two gig limit each, for an upload, for, whether however many yeah. files or per file. Mm-hmm. I suspect it might be mm. per file because certainly in uh, some sort of Firebase systems, depending on what they're using at the back end, I mean, imagine they're using like everybody else, probably Amazon Cloud stuff. I think mm. I don't think there's a two gig limit there, but it might be on certain file systems. Two gig is the maximum mm. maximum size, but yeah. Well, I think it's, uh, you know, I mean, I'd like to know what the business model is other than just being on the, the mailing list uh, before I would fully, um, you know, uh, adopt it as a way to work. But for me and the way I work and where I use WeTransfer, I think this could be, I, I, I love that way that you've got the player rather than having to download it, unzip it or whatever you would do with, with WeTransfer. It, it, it's much more immediate. And if you want to just get the client just to kind of get some feedback. I, I often work remote with mastering. Remember everyone, send your masters to me. <laughs> Plug. Um, but um, Well, that's why I sent it you know, to you. I do that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping for some free advice. <laughs> yeah, I will. I, I, I'm looking forward to it. But, um, I think it does um, It does look like a really handy system. So yeah, I mean, other than my, my skepticism about the business model, uh, I think I, I definitely would want to use this, yeah. Yeah, um, you just go, uh, it's basically, uh, if I just go here, it goes to, you just go to swan.audio and that's it. Swan.audio will kind of, you, you, and you can log in, sign up and all that. If you're not logged in, you don't get to see this straight away. Rich, did you have uh, something to right, add? Right. Just that um, for distribution in general, my favorite is box.com. Okay, not Dropbox, not WeTransfer, not, but box.com to me is okay. so far superior to the others i have hmm. i have like a ton of them you know gobbler icloud um google drive um i've got tons of them and uh box.com is my favorite oh i've not tried that well well thank you for the tip uh, we'll check that and out. you can do all of this you can do all, i mean it's more complicated as an interface in so far as you can do a lot more than what you do with just this service but and i'm not in any way comparing it to this service because like i said earlier it's good for people who don't want to do this other stuff but box.com is a great place to organize your files. Yes, people can play it right off their f- server without having to download it. Um, you can create various levels of security. It doesn't go away unless you ask it to go away, which is, for me, a great benefit, actually. Um, so I like it, and I just wanted to make that. They, they don't pay me, but they I wanted to say that. No, that's fair enough. Oh, I've just had the exciting news that my our new video machine uh, has been shipped. So uh, yeah, we've we we just updated Ooh. our we're, we're updating our uh, 
We've been running the. I mean, this is a moment running on an old Mac, uh, uh, eight core Xeon, uh, and it's just you know it's just not fast enough to render this kind of HD video stuff, and it means that this system should be absolutely flying. So yeah, those who are interested. We went for an X two ninety nine motherboard and a uh, seventy two eight eight seven twenty chip. Which means, because you get you get the you get the motherboard right, and it means that you've got loads of places. We, we bought one of the cheaper chips, but we could spend up to two grand just on the CPU. You know, if if in future we decide we need more grunt, we could go to an i nine. Anyway, but that's quite exciting. So that means tomorrow I can mess around with it. Anyway, um, after that, uh, let let let's go to a little message from one of our sponsors. Well, this is Ozone Eight, Isotope Ozone Eight, which is. The de facto, really, for uh, mastering, if you're into that kind of stuff, or track processing, that sort of thing. Features Master Assistant, which helps you set up if you're kind of starting a mastering or a session product and you need to kind of go, well, you narrow it down and it gives you <clears throat> gives you some uh, kind of indicators of where to start, which is just purely indicators, suggests the chain, suggests the thing. And, and that's done by the machine learning stuff. It's very smart. It thinks about the audio and kind of analyzes it and goes, this is what I think you need. And then you can take it from there. Uh, we've also got the tonal balance control, which is what you can see, which is available in the advanced, which gives you a graphical representation of the sort of roughly what the each frequency band should be within the bounds of to achieve the sort of sound that you're after. Uh, you've also got the track referencing, whole folder of tracks, whatever, very easy to do. And also uh, spectral shaping and the ability to tweak other instances of uh, Neutron 2 and Ozone within the same session from the same uh, plug-in window. Lots of very powerful stuff to get you a sort of real smarter mastering uh, experience uh, or just processing experience. If you want to check it out, you want to go to Ozone, sorry, isotope.com forward slash Ozone will get you there. And uh, the, as ever, they've got a fully functional demo, which I think is limited to eight or ten days. Well worth checking out. Anyway, I want to say thank you very much to them for uh, sponsoring the show by adding a prize this week. And we've uh, last week we ran the competition and the winner is this week is a chap called Bartel Hogard, who has been, he's often in the chat room and I often see him uh, entering the competition and it just so happened that his was tweeted uh, this week and it was picked which was awesome so uh, Bartle Hogard uh, he, he tweeted control and mastering uh, mastering master with Ozone 8 and blah, blah, blah. so well done Bartle you have now won a copy of Ozone 8 uh, and please do get in touch Great. and we will uh, pass you on to the folks at Isotope who will provide you with the prize and of course we've got another prize this week uh, which is again Ozone 8 Isotope and we're looking for the hashtag intelligent mixing that's one word intelligent mixing and the hashtag Ozone 8 you need to be on Twitter to enter to this the hashtag intelligent mixing one word the hashtag ozone eight with ozone and eight on the end to at sonic state and at isotope inc that's intelligent mixing and ozone eight to at sonic state and at isotope inc and you'll be entered for the competition and you can uh, enter away and once again we thank you all for entering and the the stream of mentions that that gives both us and also isotope because i know they watch it and uh, they're obviously very pleased so awesome. So um, let's get on to a bit of uh, this. This was kind of interesting. Uh, let me see if I can find the uh, window I was looking for. This is uh, this was basically a gig. Let's see if I can find this. Oh, it will play. Hello? A gig on... I might have to refresh that. That's annoying. Let me see. Uh, it hasn't played. That's, that is frustrating. Ah, here we go. Let's play this. This is... On a subway in Copenhagen, this is the promoter Strom and the DJ Anastasia Christensen. Basically, they rigged up a, a subway train 
and just did a DJ set in it. And obviously has power outlets because they've got speakers up here and the whole train. Let's see if we get it. There's a few clips. They're just it's like a 25 minute journey. Just got a little setup there, and the, it's obviously banging. I just thought, what a great idea for your commute. You could have like you know, because normally you have the quiet carriage. You could have what is entirely the opposite of the quiet carriage, which is the party <laughs> carriage. <laughs> and I just thought, what a great idea for starters. And uh, ha- oops, hold on, that's not supposed to happen. It's banging techno. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm going to come to you first, Steve, because you DJ, and uh, yeah. this raises two questions. A, what a great idea, and B, where's the weirdest place you've ever done a DJ gig? Oh, oh man. Well, I mean, I, I was thinking about this earlier, and I was just thinking, how many stories have I got that actually are suitable for broadcast? <laughs> but, um, no, I, 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 I think... Um, <laughs> um, uh, I'm quite familiar with the subway in Copenhagen because I go there quite a lot, and and this this is perfect. There's there's a real um, sort of atmosphere of um, safety, if you know what I mean. Uh, Copenhagen just it, it, the subway's open all night, and it doesn't surprise me that something like this could work really well there. Um, but where's the the strangest place that I've DJed? Well, I mean, not not so much strange I, I suppose being involved with not uh with the dj scene in the as i was very young in the late 80s and early 90s um got into quite a few scrapes with um putting on parties in places that we're not really we weren't supposed to put on parties and so um there was one uh situation where we ended up getting stranded on a boat out in the north sea um with a skipper who refused to uh to basically uh, steer or captain the boat what it was there was um a bunch of us who was djing uh, including a, an old school friend of mine who ended up being dizzy rascals uh manager which is an aside but we, we took all our vinyl onto the boat i'm expecting to have like a, a huge party and we got out into uh the just the, the entrance of the time uh, up in northern england and out there um the 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 water starts moving just as, as like you're at sea. So if you can imagine you've got a vinyl record on, it's going <laughs> the whole time. Oops. And of course, this meant that the DJs, including myself, we we couldn't do what we were trying to do. You can't mix like that. And and so there was we were kicking off. The guests on the boat were kicking off. The the captain was um, getting annoyed that people were smoking on his non-smoking boat. But this was nineteen. 19- 91 every, and it was newcastle everyone was smoking um so we got out beyond the um the harbor walls into the north sea and the skipper just basically refused to do anything we were essentially lost at sea oh, uh, for about an hour and a half until everybody calmed down and then when we got when we got he took us eventually back to uh the uh uh, the, near the time bridge um, to be met by a whole load of harbour police who <laughs> essentially uh, didn't arrest me but arrested a couple of people for, for breaking some sort of maritime law that we had no idea of in advance oh, um, yeah. so that's one story <laughs> that's just just one so are, you, are you saving the rest for the book then Steve yeah uh, <laughs> one of these there's, there's been so many um stupid run-ins with the police not for nothing for anything you know horrible but just the the naivety of being you know young djs just opposite um where uh 
OMD are playing tonight in Gateshead. There's a there's a hotel called Malmaison in Newcastle. And about a year previous to this um, being lost at sea, uh, me and a friend of ours uh, broke into that building, which had previously been like a, a hotel, but decades before it hadn't been used. And we set up a uh, 10k rig on the top <laughs> floor of that building. And if you can see it, or there's plenty of pictures on, on the web of this picture of this building, it's about I don't know, seven stories called? high. It so we, Mal- it's Mount, it's Malmaison in in Newcastle. So it's a, a hotel chain, um, and it's directly opposite the the Sage and Bridge up in Tyneside. So it took us about an hour and a half to move a ten k rig up on the top of this building, and start. Yeah, that's the one. Um, and uh, then, um, so we we got this going uh, for about an hour, playing banging tunes. And then, of course, the police showed up, as you, which was kind of inevitable. But it meant that they they were very keen on shutting us down immediately and getting rid of the hundred so people on top of this terrific building. But interestingly, none of them wanted wanted us to help us uh, move our uh, equipment downstairs. Which was they they chose they chose not to confiscate it in that particular instance because they were there was a lot of that going. Uh, on. That's they funny. were they were pretty friendly at this point, and and I made the point to them that we're really sorry. You know, we're only young, and this isn't our equipment. We've um, we've hired it in. That please don't cause any more trouble. I think actually the fact that I had a. a a middle-class accent sort of meant that they knew that I wasn't a, a wrong one, and so they let me off, essentially. Wow. <laughs> Excellent. Well, well done. Uh, thanks for that. That's a great story. Um, Gaz, I'm guessing you're probably having to flick mentally through this massive Rolodex <laughs> of weird gigs. But great, first of all, great idea, gig on a subway. I think that's a brilliant idea, because the commute is often... A, a, a strange, strange phenomenon, isn't it? It's not the sort of thing, you know, you don't make eye contact, you don't really interact, you know, whereas this is completely the opposite. I like that. So I'm, I'm, I think in this story, is it though it was part of a festival? So the, yeah, the yeah. people who were taking the train are people who are at the festival? Is part of, is that yeah, right? Yeah, I suppose or, so. It wasn't like just a set hmm, of random commuters. A, who are, right. <laughs> oh, that's a shame. Good. Um <laughs> That would be amazing, wouldn't it? Really, I think that would that would make it more cool, especially if they got loads of people off their off their off their bonces as well, just on the way into work. You know, just what difference that would have across the whole day. You know, sort of just <laughs> uh, just what kind of chaos and brilliant things would all happen. Um, but anyway, yes, um, uh, weird gigs. Uh, yeah, I'm just trying to think what gigs I do that don't qualify as being weird. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, gosh um ugh. oh god so many weird ones um uh oh really cool gigs used to happen i don't know if any, if you've ever been to the the shunt uh there was a place called shunt in in london um and that was these old railway um victorian era sort of like uh railway um stores i guess you know where they could hold hold carriages and it was underground it's underground where the shard is now so i think it it all got maybe demolished or maybe i i I don't know quite what happened to it but it was by there and the best bit about that though was the entrance to get into this club it was there wasn't any sign saying it was a club it was just like a a non an anonymous door in london bridge tube station so you'd go (laughs) it's a bit like a door a bit like Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah. It was just a little door, and you used to go into it, and it was this whole network of tunnels. And what would happen is there would be a different event. Well, there was like a like a long main shaft, and it wasn't lit at all, so it was all dark. And then perpendicular 
tunnels coming off and then there would be different events going on down the each of the tunnels so you'd wander through this darkness and find these um these really interesting little things going on so I did a number of gigs there a place called shunt that was superb that was um but then you know those things are great i think partly because they are a transitory a moment in time and i don't yeah. know how sustainable so oh, no, i think it was there for a while but uh yeah it was most peculiar though because when an event would go and a lot of people just start amassing around this anonymous door you know um but once you were in it it was a real kind of super super cool party uh, i nearly said a super swinging party but it wasn't one of them um i'm glad <laughs> but uh <laughs> yeah although worth traveling to london you, for i suppose yeah <laughs> <laughs> thank you guys. whatever went on in those dark tunnels yeah who knows um yes well that's interesting you mentioned that because that reminded me uh sorry rich if i just jump in there um i probably told this story before but the the first one um, the dark tunnels thing uh i remember go, doing a, going to a warehouse party in london uh somewhere around king's cross area camden's king's cross and uh, some friends of mine organized it they used to live in a squat in uh, uh i think it's abbey green which was uh near upper street and um it was pitch black but what they did is they put uv lights and just spread uh, um, washing powder along the floor because the washing powder would light up super bright and it would sort of show you the way that you had to go. That was one clever thing. Brilliant. And uh, the, the 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 weirdest gig I ever played was in the I can't remember the name of it. It's a sort of giant uh, transport uh, storage hub in East Berlin. Uh, I've probably told the story before where I turned up with a ten piece funk band. And the PA was delivered and it was just dropped in the middle of this. Honestly, it's so big you couldn't even see the edges, just full of these dusty old kind of 1950s East German clonking buses with a sort of space in the middle. And the PA was just sort of dumped in the middle. It wasn't set up or anything. And I had to set the PA up in this space that had, I don't know, 40 seconds of reverb at full bandwidth. I mean, it was just a complete disaster, as you can imagine, and it, it, the PA, the, the power went down, all those sort of things. But that was that was real. I mean, it was very memorable, but at the same time, extremely terrifying as being me in front of the house. Rich, over to you, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> well, nine times out of ten, I'm not your guy for the party on the subway train. But if it's just for a transport to and from a festival, I sort of think it's cool. I think that's that's fun because you're just kind of kicking the party up early and that's that's all good to me um and as for weird gigs there are just so many <laughs> i don't even know if i don't know if it would be helpful i mean the uh, the one that springs to mind i don't remember why but uh we played chic played a grammy party uh some years ago in los angeles a few years ago and it was uh a half hour set behind a posh hotel on sunset boulevard and it was a hard half hour set and we had our whole you know band set up and everything and first of all it starts drizzling now i don't know if you've ever spent much time in los angeles but it doesn't rain there period it's the opposite of ireland it's like no it doesn't or england it, it it's a desert they don't so we've learned now that the way to get it to rain in los angeles is put chic on a stage outside with no roof on it so we're out there um playing this gig and it kicks off about i don't know five or seven minutes late and we get to 11 30 p.m and literally there is a police officer standing damn near next to me at the side of the stage, looking across the stage at Nile. And Nile is like being his 
friendly, jovial self and, you know, talking to the audience about how, you know, we're up against the hard deadline and he was talking, but I'm sure, you know, they'll let us do just one more. So, and the officer's looking at him like, uh-uh. <laughs> uh-uh. And uh, no, we were done. We were done at that moment. We were leaving. It was done. It was over. It wasn't, so did, they didn't pull a plug in the middle of a song, but we were done. They, did the did Niall did literally... have to come up with some sort of uh, a, a spur of the moment uh, musical ending? No, you weren't playing another note. You were getting out of there. They oh, really? Just sort of like, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Arrested. No, 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 no. Oh, that sounds like fun. I mean, there are there are many, aren't there? Because, I mean, gigs by their very nature are chaotic. And quite often, you know, they'll end up being sort of not what you expected. Stuff goes wrong or the venue, which seems like a really cool. One of the coolest gigs, actually, I went to was at the uh, Tivoli Ballroom in, uh, I think it's north northwest London, uh, which is a bona fide from the 1940s old school dance hall, velvet, chandeliers, mm absolutely beautiful i mean with you know a 50s bar on the side and the people who run it are kind of old and decrepit and it's just absolutely beautiful and it was uh goldfrapp it was alison goldfrapp's birthday and goldfrapp played and it was just an absolutely awesome it felt so decadent there were these balloons everywhere and that was a beautiful kind of event but uh don't get to do those i mean mostly these days gigs are in sort of large concrete sort of sealed units with uh you know, built for stadium kind of stuff, which is not necessarily arty and, 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 and dramatic, which I guess well, why you have to have, you know, amazing lights and, you know, posters and all that sort of stuff to try and sort of make them a bit more vibey. But uh, yeah, anyway, I like this one. I thought it was a good one. Um, okay, right. Um, I guess we could probably, let's have a look. Which hmm, MIDI spec, anyone want to talk about that? That was kind of a bit of a big one, really. This was the ADC uh, in... Quite, the ADC it's in quite uh, easy to Let me see if um, I can find it. Oh man, and, uh, what's this? So that's day two. Convince a few or work with, uh, I don't know where it is. Oh, this is Ben Supper. That's right. I'm trying to find it. It's actually really hard to find because the video is kind of, as you can see, six hours and thirty nine minutes long. <laughs> uh, but essentially, he uh, Ben Supper is uh, uh, a test tech program technical program manager at Rowley and also on the chair of the MPE working group and they he was sort of outlining some of the ideas for the uh, forthcoming MIDI spec which hasn't been set in stone and I posted this and I called it MIDI HD because that's what they mentioned in one of the slides and I immediately got an email from somebody at MIDI or going oh no it can't you can't be calling it that it's and it just seems like this is you know the spirit of MIDI in the first place was so kind of inclusive and like hey look can we not all get along and they're just quibbling about these kind of little little moments at, at little kind of technical terms or what have you but the exciting part is you know the idea of some of these because I, I was wondering whether or not midi really needed updating but when i saw some of the things they were talking about i thought actually this is pretty cool i know gas um you and i both use midi extensively for all sorts of things mm. and you know i think it's as you know a brilliant brilliant protocol and something that probably will never be repeated in quite such the same way but what do you want to see in the midi hd spec or the midi plus or the midi 2.0 whatever they're going to call it um i think like uh what would be really cool is just to reserve eight addresses for macros so that could be like a standard that things could just all adhere to so you know because there's so many pieces of hardware that's that have got eight control knobs on and then if there was just like some sort of idea of a standard set of performance knobs uh, then manufacturers then you know could always 
if that just became like the default standard i think that something like that would be really helpful um that's not particularly exciting but i think um some sort of standardization i don't i haven't looked at this at all nick i'm afraid no so that's fine oh, well I, I, let this. me let me just run a couple of the things that they've talked about uh, first of all was the mm. midi inquiry thing which is basically I'm a MIDI device, I'm plugged into a MIDI thing, this is who I am, this mm. is what I'm capable of, okay, thanks for that information, I can use that for setting up whatever it may be. So that, that protocol, great idea. So protocol negotiation, mm. uh, profile configuration mm. and parameter exchange. Uh, note attached parameters would be another good one, particularly for MPE, so when Rush. you've got an, an event and you can kind of go, well, these yeah. controllers are attached to that particular event. Uh, higher yeah, resolution, more channels, more controllers, bandwidth, uh, simplification of simplification or eradication, more likely of NRPN, because mm -hmm. that is a nightmare. Yeah, uh, right. That whole thing. Yeah. Where the, uh, for mm -hmm. those of you who perhaps don't know, NRPN is when you combine the values of two controllers. So when I when controller mm -hmm. one is at value one, then all the registers in value two have a certain uh, possibility. When it's at number three, it, it's really it's an absolute mm -hmm. nightmare. So much does it increase? It it, it increases, increases the resolution, doesn't it, by is it 4,092 steps or something like that it, it with is, the NRPNs? But Nerpins, it's, horrib all, it's hor horrible, yeah. horrible, horrible to use. So there's a few <clears throat> things. Um, mm. Rich, I, I mean, I'm guessing, is, does MIDI figure a lot in what you're doing? I guess maybe automation, but perhaps not so much in, uh, in you know, performance side of things. I don't know. I'm making a wild assumption. I'm married to my freaking seaboard right here. Oh, that's true, of course. There's that. <laughs> um and and a gobsmack that you can transmit all that data via bluetooth with seemingly no appreciable latency to my freaking phone or my ipad or any of that stuff better than you can get it down a cable so this is not surprising to me and on some level i sort of understand it because roly has got and, and other people who are supporting MPE have this big idea and everybody who tries it tends to fall in love with it. And then they find that it's kind of a pain in the ass to interface it with existing standards and get the kind of result you want. And it takes a lot of standing on your head. And so they want to standardize certain aspects of that situation so that the compatibility and the ease of use across all these MPE devices is easier uh, in ways that the original MIDI spec didn't account for. And I think that makes a whole lot of sense. And I did watch a bunch of this guy's talk about it. And yeah, he does work for Roly, but it all made sense to me. And I think it's cool. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think the idea of uh, uh, being able to, and also obviously, you know, the, uh, as uh, I think um, Snurker in the, uh, in the IRC chat room said, you know, it has to be, number one priority has to be backward compatible. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be a, are you MIDI 2.0 or MIDI 2.1? Okay, 1.0, fine, it, your work as normal. That's a big deal. I know, Steve, how about you? How do you mm. feel about MIDI? Um, well, you know, I'm a big fan. I've used it really since the day it came out. And I think that before I say the things that I've been preparing to say about MIDI, I think I just want to recognize that I think it's been an incredible invention and uh, it's given us the music that we have today. I was sort of thinking that, you know, in terms of the innovations in music technology, this is, you know, one of the biggest by far. Having said that, um, there are a few things that I would like to uh, to see improved. I think the first one is, I don't know whether um, this was discussed in the conference at all, but can we have MIDI in and out on one cable? Do you know what I mean? That seems like such a simple thing to me. I know you can do this with USB and, of course, the Bluetooth thing will do that, but 
you know, sometimes you're on stage and you don't have a computer. Wouldn't it just be nice to have just one cable that does two-way communication? So that's a very simple little thing. But beyond that, um, uh, a few things I mentioned down here. We've had uh, General MIDI for a long time. I think it's probably fallen out of favor now. I mean, I haven't used it really ever, but certainly not in the last decade or so. Um, but what about uh, a general MIDI standard for things like uh, controllers? Now, um, now what I know that we already have uh, controller uh, MIDI number one is for modulation, and seven is for volume and all that kind of thing. So I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about an expansion on that where um, you have a whole load of extra designated uh, uh, controller numbers, but you also have a designated result. So what I mean is, is that if you, uh, at the moment, if you send a, a controller message, um, let's say you want to open up a, a filter cutoff somewhere, and you send a message of 64, um, you can't directly predict what the result is going to be at the other end, if you know what I mean. It could be that the filter half water open and two-thirds of the But what about having a, a oh, controllers man. actually define exactly? Yeah. Exactly what the result. Is. Do you see what I mean? So it would mean that, for example, you would have um, uh, number one kill. Ah, oh, it's been doing so well. Could be really, really, Sorry, um, Steve, you're 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 ways. cracking up a little bit. I think I understand what you mean there, but your your bandwidth just—I I don't know what it is. Maybe one of your uh, one of one of your uh, uh, um, cohabitees is downloading large amounts of data or something, but it, you've just you've just gone a little bit um, wobbly there. But, but all of those are very valid points. I think um, some of that is is covered in the specification. One of them is uh, more channels and more controllers, so you would have more designation. The other one is the parameter exchange and profile configuration, mm. so that those things could be predetermined sets, feature sets that would work between instruments. They would tell each other what their capabilities are and then therefore the, the 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 one at the other end would know what it what, what it was doing how it would work all of those things uh, am i am i thinking you're you're thinking about uh the, the kind of scaling of those parameters whether it's uh logarithmic or whatever the the effect those parameters has at the other end or is it uh, something else you were discussing um I, Nick, I'm not sure if you're talking to me. Something's happened with my um, Virgin connection here. Ah, and so okay. I'm get my gun out mm. again. It's not oh, virgin. Maybe, maybe you can hear me now. Maybe it's not as yeah. I can now. Chicken. Maybe maybe it's not as virginal as you'd hoped. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's uh, no. It's oh definitely dear. Effed. But anyway, um, hmm. there is just one other thing I wanted to throw in, just in case you lose me again. Something I'd really like to see in a MIDI protocol is everything being time stamped. Right. So at the moment, with yeah, with everything, the, the messages that we get, what they just happen, if you know what I mean, and that's fine. Um, but wouldn't it be great to cure, you know, so many problems by having every time stamped and maybe time stamped to an external clock of some kind? Um, and I'm not talking about a clock like a word clock that you'd have in a digital studio. I'm talking about like an external clock that you would get across the internet. Hopefully, a better internet than mine. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, but that would mean. <laughs> Yeah, um, then that I think would solve so many issues in itself. Um, and just to go from one further from that, maybe if there was some way for um, the MIDI protocol to distinguish between live playing and playing that's being transmitted from a DAW, because timestamping would be 
a little bit less useful in, in live playing. Um, but from a DAW, if every message had a, a, a even a relative time state or an absolute timestamp, sorry, then you could solve so many timing issues all in one go. I think I've come to the end of my argument here, but that, that's what I want. So <laughs> come on. <laughs> That's actually quite yeah. a good idea. I like the. I mean, didn't um, Electron do? Uh, 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 there was more than one uh, company have done kind of the idea of this timestamped MIDI. You, you might remember that they did. Didn't they do their own? It's like Turbo MIDI or something, wasn't it? Cool Gaz? Turbo MIDI. Yeah, yeah. I don't know much about that though. But there's all the Electron boxes have the option to turn that on, don't they? Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, so I just, what I don't understand, and it'd be nice if this could clarify this. Then so. Um, this is like a, a an organization who, who determines what what MIDI is the standard. Is this is this what I think that the is curators this, uh, of the standard MIDI or uh, the I, I curators think ben... of the standard. Yeah, mm -hmm. and and that is an embrace and it, and they are embracing the kind of MPE standard or they're trying. Is that is that part of it then? Is that they to be honest? I don't know. I'd imagine that's what the Roly kind of interest is mm. in that. I mean, this is and this is the thing that Ben actually goes to great lengths at the beginning to say is like, look. You know, we've got to align all mm -hmm. of the people with vested interests. You know, there are over the years yeah. MIDI has existed, there have probably been billions of dollars, you know, that much, yes, of, of R and D invested in getting this hardware to work and using this standard. It's and and then like the, the the lights people and all that, they they're using MIDI, are they still? DMX, like, yeah, DMX? it's, a, it's a similar. I think MIDI? similar, yeah. So they don't have to consider that then, or is that, or are they looking to improve? Cause that, the reason why I'm asking that though is just it. If it becomes like a wider uh, protocol, that maybe that there is more sort of a visual um, potential, or you know, uh, the the blurring of the distinction between what is a video signal or what's an audio signal. Um, I don't know. I'm just riffing. <laughs> yeah, I know. I agree. I mean, I think there's a lot. I think that. I, I, when I was at the We Are Robots conference, I might have mentioned it. I talked to uh, Rupert Hine. Uh, very well uh, regarded and old school kind of producer, lovely chap. And his role within the whole MIDI thing, he was like a, an envoy, a kind of old school diplomat. And his job was to go out and sort of schmooze and talk the uh, all the kind of manufacturers who were obviously trying to create their own standards into adhering to a single standard. And he obviously did a great job. And they, I'm sure there were more than just him. But he, you know, th this is something that is clearly going to be much harder because now there are so many more vested interests, so many more companies. And as we have always said with MIDI, one of the reasons it's so successful is because somehow... They manage it, it. It's kind of like the WHO or something. They just kind of got together and made stuff happen for the greater good. You know, it's kind of and, and, and having that happen now with all the commercial interests is going to be very difficult. And that's probably more of a challenge because everybody's going to have a no, I don't want it to work like this because I've got something that I can't tell you about. You know, it's just it's insanely complicated. But I, I really, really hope. Uh, it's going to work out. And I think at NAM there's going to be some sort of, uh, you know, a further step into the kind of uh, the discussion of this next version of MIDI and maybe some announcements. I don't know yet, but I, I'm hoping, and I was talking to one of the guys at MIDI.org, that we might get the opportunity to have a, an interview, do a kind of uh, a, a, a podcast-type special uh, talking about this in greater depth um, and just find out what, what's going on. Because, I mean, it may seem fairly dull in IT, but it's the backbone, the cornerstone of kind of pretty much what most of us do, is particularly if you're using electronic music. You know, there is, there is, you know, definitely it's 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 hard to under uh, overestimate rather. Nick, um, 
I'm assuming this topic's kind of run its course. I just there is a little piece of news I would like to mention regarding. Can I just show you this thing here? Ta-da! Oh yeah, the sledge. Is it working again? With, with. Oh uh, uh, yes, I remember we were there. <laughs> the, the sledge that, if you've got a yellow sledge and you don't know about this, there's brilliant news for sledge owners that um, there's a two point five point one update that's just come out for it and it changes it in a massively good way um one thing it does is it uh it makes the second lfo uh um it locks all the lfos so so you can do tremlots prior to that it was just all the lfos are free running and with a 24 note um poly you know gets messy quick it gets messy very quick, although it's a lot of fun. So LFO2 now is all kind of locked. The LFOs are locked together, and that's a pretty cool thing. But the major thing is is that the sound output has um, has increased. In fact, it's now on parity with the black the black edition of the Sledge. So this, but the, the big thing is is that the sound has improved immeasurably i think they said and i don't know what this actually means it says it's a hundred percent peak output improvement whatever that means but what it translates to is notably it sounds fatter it sounds thicker it sounds you know i mean this this could well be because it's just louder but it's um the whole tone of it has improved in serious it by a serious amount so um i was amazed i thought wow the fact that that an update can change the sound to such a big degree i thought it was worth mentioning if anyone out there has got one so certainly, thank you uh, yeah definitely I, yeah. I guess they must be just uh, being more efficient and u- utilizing the a to d better or, or whatever but yes i, I mean uh, you are right that topic has run its course and i think we're probably uh, fairly close to the end apart oh did you see did you see this i just well, i don't know what this is but i think it's pretty cool this is something from uh, teenage engineering it's called r and it's like a motor driven with a speaker in the bottom of it and some sort of LED. And it's a, like a dancing robot that responds to sound, I think. That looks like a meat grinder. As we'd expect with TA engineering <laughs> stuff. Nicely built. It also will load up a sausage casing. Yeah, nice. <laughs> so then it will do... This is what it does, apparently. So it's got LEDs... Exceptional. Yeah, it's one of those classic kind of what the hell is that? But I, I, I think essentially it will articulate in rhythm with music, and the LEDs can do stuff, and it's just like a little dancing robot thing. I can't think of any reason why. Uh, I don't know where, when it's going to be out, how much it's going to cost. It's teenage engineering thing. It's probably going to cost a fortune. But Rich, can you have him at, yeah. having one of those on the console while you're working on a groove? And it, if you can get I it to kind of two, dance I need well, two of those. <laughs> I need two of those, not one of those, two of those. In, yeah, dancing robots. And can you lock them together like the LFOs and Gaz's synth? I don't know. I hope so. <laughs> that would be awesome, wouldn't it? <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. What do you think, Steve? Checking your mixes to see how well the robot dances. I like the sound of that somehow. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. As a DJ. <laughs> no, uh, it, it, you know, it looks kind of fun. I'm going to wait until we actually know what this is. Yeah, no, fair enough. It was. But, I just uh, thought I'd throw it in there, really. <laughs> exactly. <to be> <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Well, I'm sorry to put you all on the spot like that, but thank you ever so much for joining us. It's been uh, great fun as ever. Uh, before we go, I just want to reiterate the uh, competition. If you want to win Isotopes Ozone 8 uh, Mastering Setup, then uh, we're looking for the hashtag Intelligent Mixing, one word, the hashtag Ozone 8, at Sonic State and at Isotope. You need to tweet that to enter the competition. There'll be a uh, winner announced next week. And so thank you, fellas. Uh, thank you very much. Gaz Williams over there in Bristol, thank you for joining us. Been a pleasure as ever uh, at the last minute. Also, uh, thank you, uh, Steve Hillier. Um, thank you for moving. And uh, get, we definitely had better Wi-Fi apart from that weird glitch, but I think that definitely improves things better. What you need is a wire going yeah. upstairs to a little so you can plug it in that would be the ultimate yeah. solution but you know i can't I'll imagine you want to remodel this. your house <laughs> well you, you say that my other half has been talking about building a basement in this house it's the sort of thing that people in london do but we're in brighton and, and i think people in brighton are a bit skeptical about removing the foundations of a victorian building to put a basement in. anyway i'll get back to you on that one Sounds expensive. Uh, thank you very much for joining yeah. us, though, Steve. And also, Mr. Rich Hilton, thank you again uh, for uh, giving up your time and joining us, too. Thank you very much. Pleasure is mine, as always. Jolly good. And don't forget, actually, I forgot to mention, uh, if you haven't checked, check the YouTube channel. Gaz has posted uh, a sort of pre-review of the new Trace Elliot Elf. Uh, and I can't remember, what was the other thing called? Planet B? Planet um, Oh, the the transit B. Transit B uh, base pedal. That is yeah. what. That's a two hundred. Is that two hundred watt? Two hundred watt base yeah, amp. Yeah, two hundred watt. In, in, yeah, into four ohms. But uh, and people have been asking for me to try some synths through it, so I will certainly do that. Um, and I think if it's Trace Elliot, it should be a relatively clean sounding amp. So keyboards could sound really good through it. But I mean, it's just it's so ridiculously small that. Um, yeah, I was. I mean, oh damn! I forgot my bass amp. I left it at home. Yeah, it's that sort of thing could happen, <laughs> yeah. couldn't it? It was in my other bag. It was in my Where other pocket. Where is the medallion? <laughs> anyway, guys. Um, yeah, so we're looking forward to that. And uh, um, yes, you've been asking what's happened with the uh, Roland SH Boutique SH O One A. I've nearly finished the review, uh, and it will be online shortly. Anyway, that's it. Thank you very much for watching. We'll all see you next time as we wave off into the sunset. And a thank you very much indeed. We'll see you next time. That was Sonic Talk, episode five hundred and fourteen. Goodbye now.